Welcome to another episode of Cranford Radio. My name is Bernie Wagonblast. Over the 10 years that Cranford Radio has been around, I've done a number of interviews with clergy people. I think all of the clergy people that I have interviewed up to this point have been at various houses of worship in Cranford. Today's guest, though, is coming to us from Germany. Bridget Guterri is a 2012 CHS graduate. She is a lifelong, or was a lifelong, I guess you should say, I should say now, lifelong mem- uh, resident of Cranford. Bridget, welcome to Cranford Radio. Thank you so much, Bernie, for having me. Let's start off with a little bit of an explanation of why I'm interviewing somebody in Germany on today's podcast. You are the ELCA Wittenberg Center Coordinator. For those who are not Lutheran, ELCA stands for the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And for those who also aren't Lutheran, might not understand exactly what the significance of Wittenberg is. Why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about what the significance of Wittenberg and why you find yourself there? Yes. So in 1517, the Protestant Reformation occurred. The pivotal point for the Reformation was Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses on the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Wittenberg to this day has been a pilgrimage site not only for Lutheran Christians, but Protestant Christians in general, or even non-religious people. It's a really, it was a huge turning point in history when Luther said, as a Catholic monk and educator, um, when he read the Bible for himself, he said, there's a lot of problems with how the Catholic Church is operating. There's some bad theology being taught in our churches, and he wanted to make a change. And so he did that. He wrote a lot of letters to the Pope. He wrote a lot for your just average day person, was successful in reforming the church. And that's how the Protestant church formed um, and, and was born out of Wittenberg, Germany. Hundreds of years later, you find yourself there in Wittenberg. What is your job in Wittenberg? Why are you in Germany? So as you said, I work for the ELCA and I am actually considered a missionary. To be a missionary in the ELCA specifically means we're not going into a place uninvited, unannounced, trying to baptize more people and grow the church. That is not the mission at all. The mission today of the ELCA and Global Mission is to send pastors and educators and leaders into the world where we are specifically invited to go. And so this position started 25 years ago in Wittenberg at the invitation of the local community, the local church, and the Bürgermeister, the mayor. There was this intentional request for the ELCA to be in Wittenberg to start this center to help welcome tourists from the United States to orient themselves to make this more of a connected pilgrimage site. I am employed by the church as a pastor in Wittenberg. Um, There's two main things that I do. One is I'm a pastor in Wittenberg. I can speak German. And so I connect with the local churches, with local leaders, and I'm invited to preach and lead worship, uh, mainly in German. 
I represent the ELCA here in Wittenberg, so I bring greetings. I lead certain groups in Wittenberg. For example, we have a group called English and Theology, which gathers local Wittenbergers who are interested in theology, pastors, and lay people. And I pick an article, and we read that together in English, and then discuss the theology of it. I think of this part of my job is kind of like I'm a campus pastor. And the the small town of Wittenberg is my campus. A big part of my job is just showing up to things and building relationships. Um, I'm not here necessarily to teach other people things. I'm here to be in relationship with people. I'm here to, to learn about the culture and traditions that mean a lot to people here and also share about my own culture and traditions. The second part of my job is to plan, promote, and execute seminars. So back 25 years ago, the ELCA Wittenberg Center was founded to be a learning center. So you could plan your pilgrimage to Wittenberg and surrounding Luther land sites, and the ELCA Wittenberg Center would help you plan that trip and give you accompanying information and notes to add that educational piece to it. We no longer operate like that. We are not a travel agency. The the mission of the center has changed, but we still want to focus on education. So the slogan that we operate by is that we're traditionally rooted and radically relevant. So in our seminars and webinars, we want to bring people together and uplift marginalized voices and theologies. We want to give the spotlight to people who in the church have historically been underrepresented, marginalized. And so I'm, I'm thinking of, of these questions. Uh, how can we start conversations in Wittenberg, or at least stemming from Wittenberg, to say, what does it mean to be Lutheran in 2024? What does it mean to be a queer Lutheran? What does it mean to be a Black Lutheran? What does it mean to be a Latina Lutheran? Um, a disabled Lutheran, all of these many different identities that people have. So that's where the relevant part comes in. And to say, how does our faith that that stemmed from Wittenberg in 1517, how do we identify with that? And how do we continue to reform how we do things in the church? I want to talk a little bit more about what you're doing there. But before we get to that, Let's talk a little bit about your growing up years in Cranford. As I mentioned in the opening, you're a Cranford High graduate, class of 2012. You grew up in Cranford. Tell me about your growing up years. When was it that you thought, oh, maybe I would like to be a pastor someday? Because mm -hmm. your organization is less than a year old at this point. Yeah. So like you said, I was born and raised in Cranford my whole life. I grew up on Orchard Street. So I went to Brookside Elementary and then Orange Ave and then Cranford High School. During my whole upbringing, I also attended Calvary Lutheran Church, which is located across the street from the Cranford Post Office. Both the Cranford public school system and my church were kind of my two main sources of education. Mm -hmm. um, so Sunday school and the likes. The first time I thought about being an ordained minister was when I was in eighth grade. I was in confirmation class. And while the pastor was saying a prayer, the thought popped in my head, I think I want to do that. 
And I thought immediately after that, well, that's crazy. What eighth grader wants to become a pastor? You know, you're not going to make a lot of money. Who's going to want to marry me? All of these kind of teenage thoughts flooded my mind. And I thought, no, this is, I, I should not do this. This is not for me. <laughs> and so in high school, I joined the, the CHS mock trial team and really enjoyed law and arguing with people. I joined Model UN and I really enjoyed it. And during this whole time, I was praying, you know, God, please, please reveal to me what it is you're calling me to do. And it wasn't until I was in 11th or 12th grade and I was in orchestra class because I play the violin and my stand partner, who is not Christian, never grew up in the church, she turned to me and said, Bridget, I think you should be a priest. And I thought, well, that's weird. <laughs> we, don't even, we don't really even talk about religion in public school. I mean, that's just not something we really teach or talk about. And for this friend of mine to say this to me at eight in the morning in orchestra, it really stuck with me. And that was the point where it was so clear, like, <laughs> You know, God was speaking through so many people over the years, and finally it took this moment in orchestra class in Cranford High School where it really sunk in. Well, the other part of this also is you talked about you preach in German. Did you grow up speaking German in your house, or was this something that you first learned no, in school? it is something I first learned in school. I started learning German in sixth grade with Herr Elliot and took it through high school, and then minored in German in college and spent two semesters abroad in Germany. So my family background goes back, you know, my family's been in the United States for a long time, like a lot of people. And mainly my, my heritage comes from Italy and Germany, but no one in my family speaks any other language besides English. Yeah, I thought, well, this is neat, this, this language that part of my family came from Germany hundreds of years ago, and this is also the language that the Lutheran Church, yeah, originated from with Martin Luther. So all that together made me decide, yeah, let me try learning German. <laughs> well, you did a whole lot better. I took two years of German in high school here in mm -hmm. Cranford. Actually, back in the day, it was more junior high because of how the schools were set up with Frau Price, and about the best I can do this now these days is say, wie ist das Wetter heute? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that sounds really good, Bernie, actually. That's that's really good pronunciation. <laughs> but like you, Wagon Blast, I have German heritage, but also it has been centuries, or a century plus, since my family came over, I think it was the 1850s they came over. So any real connections to Germany had long since disappeared. Mm -hmm. You've done a whole lot better <laughs> than, than I did with mine. <laughs> you know, it's also interesting to speak with other people whose um, relatives stem from Germany. After World War I and World War II, German was not a safe language to speak in the United States. And so it stopped being taught at schools. It, it really was numbed down. And so a lot of people in German families growing up in the United States just didn't have it. And so I feel like it's in the past number of decades, it started to pick up again and the interest is there. 
we talked about you know why you decided to become a pastor and i guess it kind of makes sense if you were studying german that you might end up in germany at some point but how did that whole thing come about did was that something you learned about in seminary Wittenberg, uh, not just, I don't mean the history of Wittenberg, but yeah. the position and such? Well, you know, when I was in middle school in German class, I think I was in sixth grade, the teacher told us that when we were in high school, if we stuck with German, there would most likely be a trip to Germany. Once I heard that in 2006, I thought I need to start saving now. And I would start saving little and little over the years until in 2011, I was able to go with a group from Cranford High School to Germany. That dream kind of started in, in 2006 when I was in sixth grade and then wow. continued. I also, I remember in high school, there were a couple times in history class when the Protestant Reformation would come up. And I was so excited about it and enthusiastic that I remember uh, a teacher asking me to give a presentation in school one day about Lutheranism. Oh, wow. And yeah, I just was so happy to do so and, and talk about what I learned in my confirmation class and personal reading and studying. So I really was a Luther geek from a very young age. <laughs> well, you had a, a much more ambitious speech that you did. I remember what I did was teaching the class how to make German potato salad in German. And the, the <laughs> thing that even through my German teacher, she didn't know what the German word was for paprika. That's the one thing that I remember. Okay. She, didn't, she didn't know what paprika, how to say paprika in German. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. <laughs> and we didn't have Google Translate back then. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wittenberg, again, for People of a certain age will remember when there was an East Germany and a West Germany, and Wittenberg was part of what was then communist East Germany. Describe to me what Wittenberg is like today. I don't have anything to compare it to from the former GDR times, but a lot of people who I have met in Wittenberg have lived there their whole lives, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And so I've heard from them how things have changed. So in the GDR time, for example, a lot of the buildings were black. They were covered in soot because it was a very industrialized area. When the wall came down post-1989, there was this big effort to, to clean up East Germany and to improve the infrastructure and to kind of gave, give it uh, some help, some funding to close the gap, the economical gap between West and East Germany. So today you still have the famous sites of the town church where Luther preached over 2000 sermons, the castle church where he posted his 95 theses, um, the university building where he taught, the house where he lived, there's a Luther museum. It's kind of like Disneyland for Lutheran geeks. Uh, you have all the sites, all these learning opportunities, museums, concerts, pointing back to the Reformation times. I spoke with a visitor a few months ago who visited Wittenberg for two weeks, and she said it was like stepping into medieval Europe. 
in, in the best way possible. I mean, cobblestone roads and everything is within a 20 minute walking distance. The buildings are, are historic. It's also a really neat feeling, especially for U.S. Americans, to go from buildings that have been built in the past 50 years or 100 years, and then stepping into a place where the buildings are there from the year 1200. I mean, it's such a difference. Sure. It's really breathtaking, yeah. We make a big deal out of something from the 1700s, and that would be new construction. <laughs> exactly. You talk about Wittenberg, in a sense, being Lutherland. Luther, while he was the architect of the Protestant Reformation, he also has a mixed record in terms of things such as anti-Semitism. How do you talk about that when people come to Germany? Yeah, that's really important that we're not trying to cover up Luther's past or, or some of his writings. Um, it's really important that we talk about this history that Luther wrote horrific things against the Jews. Um, that some of Luther's writing were used by the Nazis to justify the Holocaust. So it's really important that we talk about those things. So on the town church, where Luther was the pastor and preached over 2,000 sermons, on the corner of the outside of the church, there is a carving. There's a manmal, is the German word. There's caricatures etched into the corner of this uh, church building. And it is horrifically anti-Semitic. A part of this church prior to Luther being there. And I remember in college when I, I took a course on Luther, I remember my professor saying, Luther passed this every single day on his way to church. But passing that and seeing that every day really makes you think. And it's really influential. Um, especially in the 1500s, when a lot of people were illiterate. Pictures was, was the main way of communicating with people. So this depiction, this picture on the side of the building was really influential to people. There has been conversation continuing to this day if the church should take it down and put it in a museum or something. And up until now, it's still there. What the community has decided is there's also a memorial to contrast what's on the church. It looks like four tiles and they're put together so that the middle is kind of like a cross. The tiles are uneven and it's like there's this cement bubbling up. Something is bubbling up through the tiles and around the edges there's words written in Hebrew. And the idea behind it and the, the plaque that stands there to describe it um, educates people to say that no matter how much a group tries to suppress another group, they will always bubble up through the cracks. They will always still be there and present. And so that is the counter picture to the church. Yeah, I also think it's important for Lutherans, for people of any faith, to be critical of the founders to be critical of people with opinions and, and writings that just are not okay. Mm -hmm. And what I am thankful to have been reminded of and what I like to remind other people of is that our faith is not because of Martin Luther. Our faith is because of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther was a man 
he was flawed and he he wrote some terrible things. Um, that is part of his legacy that we need to talk about. And our faith, our life, our beliefs are not founded on people alone, but they're founded on God. Something else I want to ask you about, I was looking at a blog post you made. I'm not sure if it was the first time you were living in Germany, but you were in Leipzig at the time. And one of the things you wrote in that blog was, it is difficult being queer in Leipzig in particular at that point, but I'm curious just about where you're living now. What is what has that experience been like for you? Yeah, I'll I'll say a few things. I've been living in Leipzig since 2020, and my perception is that the queer community and the church community are completely separate. I have rarely seen an overlap. I've rarely come across a, a church that has explicitly said we welcome LGBTQIA plus people. And so when I don't see that, as a queer person, I think, well, I don't know if that space is safe. I don't know if that church is safe for me and my partner to go to. So I've gone to a lot of churches and have had to do my own research of what is a, a, a church that I feel comfortable to be myself and a part of. There definitely is a disconnect. I remember being at an International Women's Day, there was a demonstration. So we were marching through the streets with banners and trying to uplift women's rights. And I remember we were gathered in a, in a field and there were a number of speakers and not one speaker was from the church. There were speakers from the hospitals talking about women's reproductive rights. Um, trans women's rights. Uh, there were people from the city and all these facets of life that are really important, but there was no one from the church. And so to me, I, I just thought, you know, where is the church? What is the church saying? You know, what is the church part of? So there is a disconnect. Being queer in Wittenberg, Wittenberg is a small town. It's about 45,000 people who live there, but it's a pretty spread out area. At first, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if if I was going to get pushback from the locals or even the, the local church for being a lesbian. And I've been working in Wittenberg now for five and a half months. I have not received any complaint or pushback for being queer. Mm -hmm. And I'm really pleasantly surprised by that. What I have experienced instead, I think is more about um, discrimination against my age. So I'm 29. I look young, especially young for a pastor. A lot of pastors in the area are much older than I am. There's no university in Wittenberg anymore, so there's not a lot of young people. So the problems that I have faced, I think, are more about how young I look mm -hmm. than about me being gay, which I'll take it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've, I've been very pleasantly surprised. There is no LGBTQ organizations that I know of in Wittenberg, and the closest pride parade where celebration is in Dessau, uh, which is 45 minutes away. So I'm excited to go to Pride in Dessau, 
um, which is in the region of Wittenberg, but I'm still trying to figure some of these pieces out. Let me wrap up by asking, what do you see as your future there? Do you see this as something that will be long-term? Do you see yourself coming back to pastor a church in the United States at some point? What's what's your future hold for you that, that you envision right now? We all know that what mm-hmm. we envision and what happens sometimes are two different yeah. things, but what do you envision at this point? I definitely envision staying a long time. My partner and I love living in Germany. Gosh, I mean, I, I feel like I've gotten my dream job at such a young age. It's my first call <laughs> in the church. And I, I feel so blessed and I really enjoy this position. It's a nice mix of being a pastor because my role does have a lot of pastoral roles. I'm preaching and teaching and meeting with people, providing pastoral care. And at the same time, I don't have to preach on Christmas. It's kind of the best of both of both worlds. That is nice. And I also, I love the seminar piece of this, the learning center piece of this to bring up conversations and webinars and presentations to engage in conversations between people and theology. So I really do hope and plan on being here for a long time. I want to thank Bridget Guterri, who has been my guest on this episode of Cranford Radio. Again, she is a 2012 CHS graduate and currently serving as the ELCA Wittenberg Center Coordinator in Wittenberg, Germany. Bridget, thanks so much for being my guest. Thank you so much, Bernie.